Borak Thong Earthlets. My name's Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 41st episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. Yeah, man, 41. Closing in on 50. That's crazy. The big 5-0. And they said I, it I could... I no joke for 41. It's fine. There's a uh, Hitchhiker's Guide <laughs> to the Galaxies ones for, for, for next episode. Uh, <laughs> Fucking perfect. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Tornado for October 1979, Progs 133 to 136. This week, we'll journey to the Palais de Boing, uh, die in the arena, deal with some old druids, uh, bring justice to the herds of Northern England, and raise and raise rope and ride man-eating T-Rexes. Uh, in other words, this is a very, very, very good month. <laughs> Man, Oct- I feel like o- October is quickly becoming my top um, 2000 AD month, because this one is super duper solid. I wonder if, like, if they just take a break when there's, uh, when there are these annuals and stuff that come out. I don't out, know. And, and they come back and they're all fresh and they're like, God, you know, the Bahamas were great. <laughs> No, I, <laughs> I don't think that's whenever. when they. T- I don't think that's the when they take their cow. breaks. Maybe it's just that that because we take time off, we come back and they're good or something like that. But hey, speaking of things being super super solid, Fox, like say <laughs> a plate of solid steel. Uh, th- <laughs> thrill one, Judge Dread. <laughs> yeah, man. Script robot, of course, is John Wag- is John Wagner writing as John Howard. The art robots are Barry Mitchell and Ron Smith. Lettering robot is Tom Frame. So first up, the I Great Muldoon is in town. Name, right? Tom Frame. Yeah, sorry. I you know, to... I mean, yeah, no, I mean, we we've we've made this series of jokes before, but yes, it definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, so the the great Muldoon is in town. He's sort of a daredevil clown type character, and he claims that he'll jump through a solid steel plate into a tiny water barrel. Uh, Dread is suspicious and tries to shut him down, but Muldoon has a waiver from Judge Pepper. He explained... Judge Pepper's messing everybody up, dude. Yeah. He has been since the, uh, since Cal's revolt or whatever. Mm. But so Muldoon explains that he has a particle converter that will let him teleport through the plate. And this seems to mollify Dread a little bit. Meanwhile, outside the arena, a pair of hoods are trying to steal the ticket money from Muldoon's event. Oh my god, what a bunch of no-goodniks with guns. Yeah, totally. Luckily, there's like 50 judges there, and they all descend upon them. Uh, <laughs> they they surround them, but one, claim, one claims that he has a bomb that will destroy the city if they don't let him go. Instead of letting them go, though, Dread walks up and kicks the guy right in the face. <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah. It's actually very similar to um, the end of like the 2012 Dread movie, where he tosses Mama from the top floor or whatever. Where he's just like, like she's like talking, talking a big game about destroying the building, and he's like, nah. Um, but in this case, he knew because he had Birdie, which is the Justice Department's new handheld, ultra-reliable instant lie detector that will basically be the, well, why didn't you just use that type thing for basically the remainder of Judge Dredd. 
<laughs> so they reveal a superpower that's just not really used again. I mean, it'll be used from time to time, but definitely anytime someone lies to Judge Dredd successfully, like, feel free to be to show your nerd cred by saying, why doesn't he just use the birdie system to make sure that he's not lying? You know? <laughs> I know what you're like, Fox. I, I mean, yeah. You're always you're always quick to talk about how the Enterprise knows how to go back in time a couple minutes if they really want to, but they never use that, you know. I I mean, <laughs> I may never complain about it, but it is actually quite true. It's important that you know keep it in mind. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, anyhow, um. Yeah. Uh. Uh, Dread. So after all that excitement, Dread remembers that he's trying that he's trying to have the Great Muldoon's uh, uh, event canceled, and he runs in to try to stop it, but not before Muldoon makes his leap. It was an oh shit moment. They literally said it's like oh wait shit. Uh, I gotta go <laughs> to do this. <laughs> Uh, so Muldoon jumps and he's like as he spins rings around his arms and legs drinks water and recites Shakespeare he falls towards the plate activating his device will he make it? <laughs> nope he splats into the wall and that's showbiz oh my god that's that's how Judge Dredd ends it's like, yeah, I guess that's like fucking the way the cookie crumbles hey man like, like Judge Dredd knows how reality goes you know I, yeah, but uh, this, by the way, is the first. I'm surprised they weren't like incredibly gruesome with this. This next like few issues, man, it gets pretty, gets pretty harrowing in some of these comics. Things Judge are, Dredd. yeah, totally, dude. Well, things are fun. In the next one, um, it looks like there's an invisible man loose on the city. He's sending like cutout magazine ransom notes um, to Judge Dredd. And he, he's threatening the priceless sculpture MC Squared. And despite constant judge supervision, the statue is stolen right out from under their noses. Oh my god, it, the sculpture's gone, but it can't be. As it, when it, when it disappears, Dread like sprays like, uh, fi like fire foam or something all around yeah. the area to try to basically be like, well, he's invisible, but he's still uh, tangible, so I'll hit him with all this anti, you know, stuff that'll stop invisibility and that'll catch him, but it doesn't work. It's a pretty smart move, to yeah. be honest. Like, totally. He's very quick to just be like, you know what? Maybe he is invisible. <laughs> like, it's like a, it's definitely a situation where it seems like Dredd has watched one or two movies about um, invisible dudes and sort of how you fight them, and so he's using basically the first tool in your arsenal for that stuff, and it's not working, which is rough. Definitely. Yeah, another letter comes in demanding ten million credits, or the city will regret it. Uh, the judges lay a dummy bag of money in the middle of a big plaza, complete with a giant Fergie statue, which I always appreciate yes! Fergie showing okay, up. I was so excited to see that. It's just this massive Fergie and flies. Yeah, it's it's a really great um, continuing thing in these Judge Dreads, just seeing various Fergie statues scattered around the city. They, they show up in the background a lot, actually, which is kind of fun. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, this... At, it, this one gets all like sprayed on with goo. Yeah, well, because they they set a uh, you know it's an empty money bag, but it's got a sensor in it, so whenever somebody touches it, 
they'll know that it's been um, that it's been messed with. And as soon as the sensor launches, they cover, they instantly spray the entire area with riot foam, which sticks people in place. But there's still not a trace. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a fascist dictatorship. They know how to deal with riots, basically. (laughs) Um, But there's still not a trace of the Invisible Man. Even Even Justice HQ isn't safe. As a letter from the Invisible Man is hand-delivered to Dredd's office. Oh, God. Yeah. He comes out guns blazing, but the I am, but the Invisible Man is still gone. He's now promised to make a laughing stock of City Hall, and Dredd, of course, swears vengeance. <laughs> no one fucking makes City Hall look stupid. Absolutely not. Also, uh, throughout this um, storyline, there has been... Also in the background, there's been a bunch of, um, there's been a bunch of, like, advertisements and, like, posters and stuff for Umpty Candy. Oh, yeah. Which is a uh, Mega City One consumer product, which we'll see more of going forward, basically. Just, Mm. you know, place in the back of your mind, it's fine. Haven't we seen the name Umpty before? Yeah, well, we've seen, like, more commercials for Umpty Candy, just as, Mm. like a product or like a thing that people eat just as like an actual treat kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So next up, uh, Ed, we, we cut to Edwin, the confessor who is just this kind of bum guy who confesses to everything. Um, oh, like at justice HQ, basically. That's right. I like this guy. Yeah. So he goes in and he's basically like, I'm the invisible man. Arrest me. And the judges are pretty funny about their responses because they're just like, you don't look that invisible to me, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) They're definitely sort of humoring um, Edwin and his um, need to confess to everything. Yeah. I mean, several of them are sitting on a panel just seriously listening to him while another dude takes notes. It seems like the panel is just like, hey, we're going to sit down here and anybody who has any crimes to confess, come on through, you know? Just a weird, weird day <laughs> yeah this is a weird alternate uh, job that uh, judge dread does sometimes but the thing <laughs> is is that edwin does have some information about the crimes that hasn't been released to the public yet so while mm-hmm. they're pretty sure that he isn't actually the invisible man he does seem to be invisible man adjacent so it's time to flush him out for evidence basically um, Dredd has a plan, he releases Edwin without enough evidence, and Edwin's like, not enough evidence, I'll show you! And he goes to, like, gather stuff. Meanwhile, the Justice Department is following Edwin, who is in turn following another guy, just as a bank is robbed right next to him, and it's another invisible man bank job, basically. You know, it would really help these mega city bad guys if they all didn't just wear hey look i'm a bad guy costume the uh the guy edward is con- is uh, following this guy is dressed in black with this huge hat that just looks like a big hat box on top of his head or something <laughs> like that or he like looks uh, like an eraser like a pencil totally yeah or like nefertiti's haircut or something like that oh just yeah like a big like cylinder that kind of comes up straight from behind his ears all over his whole head basically it just doesn't look like good guy clothes, Mm-mm. you know. Yeah. So Dread watches videotape of this mysterious guy with his with, with his crazy hat, and notices that for one frame of the um, video, he disappears and then returns, but his briefcase has suddenly switched hands. Ooh. So, of course, it's suddenly clear. 
This guy isn't invisible. He's moving incredibly fast. Um, which was a, a plot of a DuckTales episode, actually, from my youth. <laughs> Something that I thought really? of, too. Yep. Yeah, the Beagle Boys ended up stealing um, a, a thing that slows down time, and they appeared invisible to everybody else, but when they were using it, everybody else was just frozen in place. Hmm. Anyhow. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, so... They do a background check on this guy. It turns out that uh, he works at, like, he's a Benji Doonan, and he's a janitor at a company called Intertime, which makes time warp machines, which slow down time. And he lives. get a better hold of these at a time machine company. <laughs> You'd think a time machine company would work really hard to not let people walk out the door with time machines. <laughs> you know, if only there were some sort of uh, high-kicking time cop to deal with that sort of thing, you know? But any, oh. that's not till 1992. <laughs> wow. It also turns out that um, Dunin has an apartment across whose windows fa- whose window faces Edwin the Confessor. So that's probably his, so Edwin looking at his uh, at his neighbors with a with a uh, creepy spy uh, telescope. Probably saw Dunin show up with his ill-gotten gains. Oh, creepy! Yeah. Anyhow, it's time for a raid. Uh, Dread and the rest <laughs> of the judges burst into Dunin's place, and as Dunin triggers his time warp, Judge Dread shoots him. The t- uh, time slows for Dunin just as he gets hit by the bullet. And so, it, uh, trapped in super time, he ends up sort of bleeding out and dying before Dredd's eyes. Oh, God. So, and in like a second, Judge yeah. Dredd gets there and he's like, oh, this man's dead, like, a lot. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So, that's taken care of. Edwin is arrested for giving false evidence and gets one month in jail, just like he always wanted. All's well that ends well. <laughs> Uh, no, and then, like, one of the judges just says, Ah, Judge Shred, you've got a heart of gold. Neither heart of gold for putting that guy in jail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> all right, man. Yeah. That is weird. So, last Judge Dredd story. Boy, it's the oh, new sensation awesome. that's sweeping Mega City 1. Yeah, man. So, Boing is this uh, spray can that you spray around yourself, and then it sort of pops up, and you become encased in an indestructible clear ball. You can bounce around and do cool stuff and, like, be a human pinball and stuff at the Palais de Boing, the Palace of Boing. <laughs> and it's, like, pretty awesome future stuff, to be honest. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. mind going. Like, you're very safe, and you get caught in a giant net afterwards, and you're balled up with a bunch of other people, and you come down to shoot, and yeah. then you wait for these guys with the weird machine to crack your space egg open and let you out. It definitely seems way more safe than various trampoline-based places that I've seen, like, in the oh present my day, God. which just yes. seem like compound fractures waiting to happen, to be honest. I like I've never been specifically because it just seems terrifying. Yeah. But so everything's cool until a couple citizens try using Boeing outdoors and with the huge heights and multiple surfaces of Mega City One, the Boingers quickly start causing havoc. They even kill a judge. Judge Parker, no Not Judge Parker, he was on loan from the Daily Comic Strip Unit. Because the because the long running soap opera strip Judge Parker ah uh, whatever uh, so Uh-oh. things go from bad to worse for the Boingers one flies into the power lines and fries and then and now Judge Dredd is on the case 
um, he shoots one guy with an incendiary shot, which causes the entire uh, Boeing ball to catch fire and change its molecular composition. He goes flying into a roadway and sticks fast to it, to it's like a highway. And he just burns alive. No, no, he's fine. He's oh, fine okay. inside the ball. Yeah, the final Boinger continues out over the western wall of the city and into Muty Land. Two days later, he's found being worshipped as a god by the Muties. Oh, that's so awesome. Boing. <laughs> Boing. <laughs> the, uh, the Boinger that was stuck on the roadway gets sent to jail because his Boinging cost 15 lives. Yeah, he's, man. His father tries to bribe Dredd and gets sent to the correction block as well, and a new label is added to Boing cans, a 20-year penalty for improper use. Oh, yeah, dude. Don't yeah. boing outside of the Palais de Boing. Yeah, boing safely, you know? Oh, uh, also, Fox, don't make a big deal about it, but remember mm-hmm. the concept of boing existing for the next 14 or 15 issues or so. Just, you know, keep it keep it in your brain a little bit. That's awesome. 14 or 15 progs, I should say. So, and then next episode on Judge Dredd, join the Hellfire Club and kill a judge. Ugh rough it's bad man life for a judge is tough in mega city what the hell it's true people are getting killed left and right dude uh speaking of oh good oh no 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 (laughs) i was gonna say and speaking of getting killed uh thrill to blackhawk uh this starts so weird yeah so uh so blackhawk is a script robot is alan grant writing as alvin gaunt Art robots are Joe Stanton and Bellardinelli. Massimo Bellardinelli. Lettering robot is Jack Potter. Yeah, so this one fight starts with a fight with the smiling Chuckwalla, who is a huge monster that's basically a, a huge, smiling, goofy face full of razor-sharp teeth with, like, arms and legs coming off of it. Like, sort of almost Mr. Potato Head style, basically. Yeah, yeah, his whole body is his face. And his arms are coming out of the top of his face. Yeah, he's his got, legs are coming out of the bottom of his face. Yeah, he's got, like, shoulders, but, like, his shoulders are, like, his eyebrows, basically. Yeah, it's super creepy. I'm not into it. Nah. Luckily, Blackhawk manages to beat to beat the beast pretty quickly, first cutting off its arm and then a solid yeah. face stabbing. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. Uh, Blackhawk wins the fight and maybe starts feeling a little fulfilled by killing dudes and the adulation of the crowds. But Blackhawk's kind of too lame and melancholy for that, so he starts brooding in the squad room. (laughs) (laughs) So fucking accurate. He even turns down some free Mac Mac to drink, and Mac Mac is the best! Dude, why would you ever turn down Mac Mac? It makes you feel good, and then plenty of Chop Chop later. Absolutely. Dude, I'm so I'm so pro-Ursa and anti-Blackhawk in this comic. <laughs> of course, because that's where you should be. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, especially later. God, yeah. he has such logic. Yeah, so the director of the games is unhappy about Blackhawk's attitude as well and takes Blackhawk away to the depths of the ship where he ditches him in a locked vault where lives Zog, a dwarf with a giant club. Zog, Zog, Zog! Zog is super fast and super deadly. He's had operations done on him to increase his bloodlust and want to destroy everything that moves. Well, he said that he replaced 
neural connections in his brain with plasticine and steelex. Yeah. What the fuck? He's got an armored skull and a wa- and a will to rock and roll. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but so yeah, uh, Zog, yeah. It's time for Blackhawk to learn a lesson in humility by getting killed by a death dwarf. Zog, Zog, <laughs> Zog, Zog. <laughs> so great. So Blackhawk has died at the hands of Zog, or so we think. He wakes up in like a healing tank where it's revealed that the director of the games can bring people pretty much back from the edge of death. Even Batak, that's uh, that bug guy that Blackhawk seemingly killed last episode of the show. He's in a tank yeah. in the process of healing. And swears revenge, of course. They're it together in, like, this weird, sexy soup. And yeah. even as, like, Blackhawk punches free of the... Which is cool. Yeah. He punches free of this vat. Like, Batak, as it's starting to get filled back up, is like, I'll still kill you! And it's like, I'm dude, a, just... Yeah. <laughs> I'm very interested in revenge, and I appreciate Batak also having that opinion. <laughs> this <is> hilarious. <laughs> so... Blackhawk and Ursa reunite and they head down to the training plants aboard the ship, which uh, shoot murder spores at you that you have to fight off. They they try to do so, but Blackhawk freaks out under the pressure, and as they're dealing with that, a mysterious man shows up with a big crazy monster in tow. He, I mean, mind you, like Ursa also gives some context. He's like, oh yeah, dude, once you come out of the vat, you lose some of your, you know, yeah, you, you lose some of your courage for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. Thank you for picking that up, dude. I, I, yeah, actually, yeah. I actually do appreciate it, because I'm like, you know, whatever. Um, so a guy shows up, he challenges the director. He's got a deadly beast with a deadly weapon, the Gaze of Ghoul. That's G-triple-O-L. It's, uh, it's pretty gross. Turns yeah. you into goo. Yeah, it's got a bag on his head. You take the bag off, it looks at you, you melt into a pool of slime. Which, uh, by the way, like, as they were going through this, like, all of the the drones that the the director, like, has, he mm-hmm. mentions that he grows them, yeah. and they look fucking absolutely terrified when they're put in front of this thing. So they're, like, actual things, not oh, yeah. just, like, dumb robos. This, uh, this director guy is not a good guy. Like, that's definitely, definitely true. <laughs> He's the bad kind of alien. Yep. Not that there's a good kind of alien. Hey, there's some good ones. Man, Ursa's pretty good. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But so the director says that he won't answer the challenge of this, uh, of this, of the ghoul because he can't, it's just too hard to beat, too hard to fight. Mm. But Blackhawk volunteers. He's worried about his cowardice, like Fox mentioned, after coming out of the vats. And so he needs to uh, come back and challenge and defeat an unbeatable foe to prove his courage. And part of that means wearing the silliest hat on the planet. Oh, yes. First, uh, Blackhawk watches a video um, of the most likely (laughs) outcome of his fight with the ghoul on the director's Oracle computer. And the fight ends in his own soupy death. I mean, he's kind of like, holy crap, like. That's fucked up. And he's yeah, like, yeah, I don't want to. But you're gonna do it now. It's too late. It's too late now, buddy. Blackhawk can't back down. Uh, not especially not if he wants to earn the fat purse the director offers. 
Uh, he, he gets together with Ursa and plans a Perseus-like strategy. He'll blind himself to not look at the monster while wearing a crazy blinder helmet that looks really Which dumb. I'll, it's got like three feathers on the top and yeah. like, it looks like fly face. Totally. But so while he's blind, Ursa will shout instructions at him to fight. The problem is that Ursa's kind of dumb and gets left and right confused quite a bit. Yeah, like um, the entire time. Yeah, it's true. Eventually, though, Blackhawk does follow Ursa's advice and kicks the ghoul in the face, turning it to face the crowd where it just starts killing spectators constantly, t- turning <laughs> the whole stands into goo, basically. Oh, it's really gross. While it's distracted, Blackhawk takes off his helmet and stabs the beast at its back, killing it. Blackhawk is one, but takes no pleasure in it, and he rejects the director's purse, which is full of hundred groat coins. That's like so many groats just came flying out of that. By the way, its brain is on the ground. It's like... It's like this whole thing is gruesome. He actually stabbed it through the back of the neck, and you can see the sword coming out of its yeah. mouth. Yeah, like, man. Holy shit. Like, I, I feel like it's because it's violence on aliens that just lets them do some insanely graphic, like, cutting people to bits type um, yeah. type type images. Like, I, it's the combination of it being... Uh, of aliens and it being black and white, you know, the, the, the black and white parts of the comic that really mean that it seems like they have kind of a free hand almost. Because there's just a lot of stabbing and murder in, in, in Blackhawk, like for sure. I'm not saying that Blackhawk himself is metal, but some of the things he does in order to kill things, pretty metal. Mm-hmm. So we finish up with Blackhawk and Ursa back at the training plants when young Lado, the weapons boy, comes running up and almost gets killed by the murder spores. Lado uh, act- Mr. Blackhawk, <laughs> please uh, sign my autograph. Book. Exactly. Uh, B- Blackhawk does it and he broods about gaining fame for the violence he's done and Ursa tells him to shut up and stop uh, moaning for once. Yeah, he's just like, listen, you like have some Mac Mac and like just chill out. And he's like, no, man, I'm I'm all sassy and pissed off because like I'm tired of killing shit. And he's like, bro, we get free food. We're warriors. So it's all about fighting. This is like warrior space anyway. And everyone thinks that you're awesome. Why are you bitching? And then gives him a finger waggling like and a hand on the hip like you're being a ding dong. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. So they land on the planet Mallow. Um, and Blackhawk is put up to fight against the Maloid, a giant crab bird beast that says Squirtle constantly like some kind of hell Pokemon. <laughs> yep. And apparently, like, this has not been translated because it's a very shocking curse word. Yeah, it says a bunch of, like, Squirtle, Myrtle, Myrtle, Dirtle. And it's like, whoa, that's a crazy <laughs> insult. But so Blackhawk chops the chops the uh, Maloid to bits, but then the bits come to life and fight back. Things look bad, and young Lado jumps into the arena to help Blackhawk, but is swiftly eaten alive by the Maloid parts, with Blackhawk unable to interfere. Yeah. Blackhawk is bummed at this and decides it's finally time to make his escape. Next episode, Ursa needs sacrifice. God, that could mean so many things, and I hope it's not Ursa dying. <laughs> it's it's going to be a good time, for sure. 
Yeah, right. Blackhawk, super bloody, very interesting for sure. Uh, you know, like, I I don't know. I, I'm having, like, this mixed feeling because you're right. Like, he just bitches so much. He does, like, he is kind of a, of a of a complainer, you know. But that's sort of why he's, what makes him noble, almost. <laughs> mm, he's a bit of a plague on the comic. I don't know. Speaking of which, Thrill 3 ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors! ABC Warriors! So, the Red Death. Oh, guys, killing everybody that's human. Yeah. Oh, wait, I should say, first of all, uh, the script robot for ABC Warriors is Pat Mills. The art robots are Mike McMahon and Carlos Escara, drawing as Long John Silver. Uh, the lettering robot is Pete Knight. God, the art in this. Yeah. So first off, the red. Yeah. So the Red Death. It's skeletonizing people of the people of Viking City left and right. Only robots are safe, and they've gone straight into a uh, bring out your dead, unclean, unclean mode. Oh yeah, they are throwing people into the back of a wagon pulled by a weird ostrich monster. Y- yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, the nearby Death Valley, the Magnificent Seven, are investigating the plague. They come across a car with a dead couple in it, and Deadlock can sense the evil of the plague nearby. At this point, they are confronted by a kid, Little Johnny, seemingly the son of the dead couple in the car. He's been building sandcastles and stuff. What a weirdo. Yep. Up until this point... Um, the robots have all been safe from the Red Death because they don't feel fear. But as they talk to little Johnny, a sandstorm kicks up and Mongrel starts hallucinating. He thinks Laura is alive and in danger and his body starts to deteriorate. And the same thing happens with Hammerstein worrying about little Johnny's safety. The oh robots, my God. Yeah, the robots can feel fear for others and that makes them vulnerable to the Red Death. So says Deadlock! Deadlock puts it together that little Johnny is the virus incarnate, a living personification of it. But how do we deal with this problem, Conrad? To save Mars, we must kill this little kid. (laughs) (laughs) So here, Hammerstein, take the, the Ace of Swords and fucking murder this child. Hammerstein's hesitant about doing it until little Johnny goes full Linda Blair exorcist on him. You can't kill me. You're too soft. I'll kill all of Mars. But Hammerstein is not soft, and he cuts that kid in half. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, okay, so in the shot, which is fucking crazy, he's yelling, die, alien spawn, and, mm-hmm. like, a swinging down as the, the kid's screaming... Underneath him, you can see a leg kicking up and wiggling in its throes of death as Deadlock watches on like, I'm proud of you, Hammerstein. The death of Johnny is just barely off screen. (laughs) Yes, it is. uh, It is not. It's not shy with what it's Mm -hmm. fucking doing here. So when little Johnny dies, he turns into a throbbing white slime and disappears into the sand. The Red Death has been beaten. It's turned into spooge. Yeah, spread the word. So, hey, Fox. <laughs> hey, Fox, buddy. Yeah. Do you remember a certain 2000 AD thrill called Flesh? Oh, I mean, fuck yes. Of course I do. It is my all-time favorite thrill. Do you remember the bad guy from Flesh? Uh, old One-Eye, the hag T-Rex? 
You mean the most magnificent monster ever created on the pages of a comic book? 2080's strongest female character to date. Don't shoot. <laughs> um, do you remember <laughs> Old, old One-Eye's son, Satanish? Which was cloned from ancient times and brought back to life in the future, eventually threatening Judge Dredd upon the, uh, during the Cursed Earth saga? Of course. Like, he just, like wrecked havoc he swung uh that was it judge pepper around? no it was another no, judge. judge jack yeah it was judge jack and he was just like whipping him around on a chain like i'm gonna eat this judge and just like murdering all sorts yeah i remember him He's yeah cool. well okay Sat- uh satanus had a son golgotha oh my god do you know what no <laughs> i was gonna say do you know what that means conrad it means <laughs> palace of skulls oh yeah and you know why it's important? <laughs> because because Golgotha is now a riding T Rex for Mike Molasses, a hunt leader and heir to a Martian shipping line. He rides the heavily armored Golgotha while running down and hunting human beings for sport on the on Damnation Isle in the far south of Mars. Which uh, I recall like bringing that up when I saw it on the map, and I was just like, "What? This sounds like a horrible place." It is a horrible place. It is also an awesome place. It's a horrible place if you don't want to be eaten by T Rexes. But if you think that's awesome, then it's an awesome place. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> so. The hunt goes wrong, however. Mike loses control of Golgotha, and Golgotha rallies the other T-Rexes to eat their riders, and then they stomp off to savagely consume the rest of Mars. So now there are these heavily armored, heavily awesome T-Rexes walking around Mars looking for flesh. Heavily armored, heavily awesome sounds like what I want on my tombstone, Fox. I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) (laughs) fair (laughs) so um, they go to the bridge separating the island from the mainland and jump the bridge just as it's raised Golgotha and his buddies make it across and they're eating everybody they're on their way to becoming the lords of Mars Dude, they jump across the the, like bridge as it's uh, as it's like coming up and just like straight up just devour some dudes yeah there's a lot of like arms and legs hanging out of mouths in this by the way it's so good oh. Oh. <laughs> so, so how do we deal with this problem well so the abc warriors are called in uh mike molasses's dad tries to bribe them into not punishing their son for this situation but no dice the, the warriors prepare to hunt down Golgotha as Deadlock takes Mike Molasses away and executes him, like off-screen a little, okay. bit, a little bit more. Um, so awesome. The bots will ride the remaining three T-Rexes, the lady, <laughs> the lady dinosaurs that are um, Golgotha's mates. Uh, Salome, Jezebel, and Delilah. Salome. Yeah, they're all named Salome. after... They're named after evil biblical ladies, basically. Oh my god. Meanwhile, uh, Mama and Papa Molasses plan revenge against Hammerstein and know just the evil bot to help them out. That's right, General Blackblood. He's still definitely double bad, stupid Volgons. I mean, you know, he only gets so good and retains his knowledge of murderous guerrilla warfare and stuff. So anyhow... 
Armored T-Rexes are on the loose. They're running amok and eating everything in their path. It's so awesome! Including cars. They're just like, oh, look at these cars. It's like tin cans full of people just ripping open in taste. They cause a huge car crash. They eat a mother and child out, out from the inside of their car. Oh, it's ridiculous. That's right. It's just like kid murder in this. Like full on a mom just saying to her kid, like, be brave as they eat you, basically. Yeah, it'll be over soon, Timmy. The, uh, the traffic accident also cuts the power to Viking City. Which is the T-Rex's last next stop. They don't have any defenses. Only the ABC Warriors can help. The Warriors mount their T-Rexes and ride out. It's time for T-Rex combat. Um, they, and they have these really funny chairs. So it's like these these neck bracers that are on these yeah. uh, T-Rexes. And then ha- like weird seats connected right to them. Yep. It's super goofy looking. Well, I gotta say, you have to remember that this is the old school like model of T-Rexes, right? Like, you're, yeah. they, these aren't your Jurassic Park even T-Rexes where the T-Rex is like hunched over where like its spine is sort of parallel to the ground. Like, mm. these are the old style T-Rexes of my youth where the T-Rex stands up straight and like yeah. is it, their back is perpendicular to the ground so and you're just sort of standing on these tall tree t-rexes like ha- the way you strap a saddle onto them is not very if it doesn't look very efficient you know no it looks super goof but so now it's 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 combat time hammerstein and deadlock fight the t-rexes from horseback mongrel does wrestling moves on the uh on the t-rexes spread the word and um the mess comes out and just envelops dinosaurs in burning hot metal death basically so awesome it's so awesome soon all the dinosaurs are dead except for golgotha who has escaped having revealed a having received a special signal from his mate delilah so now it's time to chase him into the city uh hey before we go uh can black blood check your check your guns please hammerstein all right not weird or suspicious or anything it's the subtlety that i like um so golgotha has arrived at viking city where the city Golgotha, f- lord of mars city folk instantly start re- start worshiping him <laughs> they yep grab a blonde lady and start serving serving blonde ladies up to golgotha for him to eat and uh no she does not get saved she straight gets eaten not a lot of so, okay listen <laughs> People get saved by the ABC Warriors, all right? But people yeah. in peril don't get saved. Like, like, like pers- individual persons don't get saved by the ABC Warriors. <laughs> if, if there's a generalized threat, then the ABC Warriors will protect you. But if you're a specific person, the ABC Warriors will probably not be able to save you, which is kind of realistic, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. <laughs> There's seven dudes. They're here to make sure not everyone dies. Exactly. So Hammerstein shows up. He's got a bazooka. He's going to take down Golgotha. He goes to shoot it. But oh no, his gun jams. What the F? How does a bazooka jam? But that's all right. Whatever. Something's now fucked up. Now he's got to fight Golgotha in melee combat. Tooth and, tooth and tail versus club and dagger as the two mighty warriors fight. 
so awesome! In the end, Hammerstein drives his dagger up through the roof of Golgotha's mouth into his brain, and Golgotha's... Does that stop him? No, Golgotha keeps going. It doesn't stop until his body gets impaled on the spiky top of of a Viking City skyscraper, which causes there just to be like this huge, like six-foot metal spike going right through him. That eventually caught... that stop him? And eventually he actually dies from falling off the top of the skyscraper like two miles down basically oh my. and killing five people below him oh yeah definitely definitely lands on some dudes and kills those guys too but this so, is the great grandson of old one eye no he just the, murderous and nothing can stop him not just, even through the brain or heart just the regular grandson or maybe the grandson who is great oh yeah yeah <laughs> But so, so ends Golgotha, uh, requiace in mortem, as Deadlock says, which uh, means rest in death. Meanwhile, (laughs) Hammerstein starts kicking the crap out of Blackblood for his obvious treachery, rigging rigging his gun to jam and stuff. Uh, Hammerstein, Hammerstein can't prove it, and thus he can't kill Blackblood out of hand, but Blackblood is on notice for evilness. Is, is it safe to come out, sir? Is Golgotha really dead? Golgotha's defeated. Spread the word. Fuck yeah, bud. (laughs) Spread the word. This is an awesome comic. Next episode, George the Gargantech. I'm just going to say this right now. If you don't read the ABC Warriors, you're really missing out. This ABC Warriors story has been collected a bunch of times and there's like, you know, there's like a graphic novel for it and stuff like, or a collector edition for it, I should say. It's just the first one, basically. But it's really, it's really worth your time. I mean, like the, the sort of up and the down of the ABC Warriors, of, of this ABC Warriors story specifically, um, mm-hmm. is just that because, or, and I don't know, it's maybe even not like a problem, but it just, because there's so many different authors or artists working on it. Like, I swear, every artist except for Bellardinelli um, in the 2000 AD st- um, stable. Like, yeah, Bellardinelli and Brian Bolland are the only guys that we see regularly doing art for 2000 AD that, haven't, that don't do a page of The Magnificent Seven. Oh, like, that's interesting. Kev O'Neill, Brett Ewins, Brendan McCarthy, uh, Dave Gibbons, Mike McMahon, Carlos Escara, everybody... Um, does at least a page it's something that like pat mills really hated about the comic and sort of affected future abc warriors stories we'll talk about that sort of next week i think that's the best time to talk about it yeah let's trivia i'm very like interested anyway speaking of something that isn't awesome well speaking of things that aren't even thrills in the first place Non-thrills, Nerve Center, Covers, and Captain Clep. <laughs> this is just a chance to talk about, um, you know, just the covers of these comics, the ner- you know, stuff on the inside, and then Captain Clep, which I'm moving to non-thrill status because these single-pagers, ooh, these single-pagers. Okay. They're stinkers. Mm-hmm. Zorgon! Alien. So, pro- yeah. Alive. <laughs> Prague 133, yeah, it's a cover by Carlos Escara that gives us another alien picture of Zorgon. It's his wanted poster, dead or alive. Zorgon has a helmet with his name on it and far too many teeth. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Inside Tharg warns us to keep an eye out for Zorgon and posts letter letters about the 2080 tornado merger, along with uh, fan art of Tharg that is of uh, a varying quality, I'll say. He calls it the good, the bad, and the ugly, and right. the worst one is... Yes, it's real bad, but this is a children, man. Yeah, it's a jerk move, but it sort of corresponds with also people's responses to how they like the tornado. So the good <laughs> picture also has people being really, um, really excited about the merger, um, and then the ugly has all the people just telling, t- telling Tharg to go skate, basically. Um, wow. <laughs> so. In the middle of the comic, there's a couple pretty good pictures by um, readers of Dan Dare, Judge Dredd, and a Tharg Star-Lord double pick, as well as answers to this contest that was run in Prague 119. Uh, finally, this Prague ends with the Captain Klepp page, where he's down, where his auto-identity yeah. Clark Klepp is down in his luck, having trouble making rent. He walks in his, on his boss being robbed by a guy in a raven costume, and he doesn't realize it at first, but then he barges back in to stop him. But the villain has switched clothes with Klepp's boss and escapes. So stupid. Uh, enraged, Klepp's boss yells at... Or the boss yells at Captain Klepp and demotes his secret identity. Meanwhile, Klepp returns home and finds that his roommate is no longer worried about the rent because his roommate was actually the guy that did the robbing. And so now he can afford to pay both their shares of the rent. Klepp doesn't know this because he's dumb. All right. <laughs> and, like, scene. This feels like it should be in, like, a Sunday morning comic strip, but it's already too long. There's just so much happens in each episode of Captain Clep. It's pretty amazing, actually. Um, it's fucking dumb. In uh, Prague 134, the cover is a Brian Bolland Dread silhouette celebrating 2000 AD winning Best British Comic and Dread oh, getting Top yeah. British Comic Character. Uh, this is for the Eagle Awards, which are... Not quite annual yet. There's going to be one in 79, one in 80, then the next one's going to be in 83. This time the awards were held at the British Comic Art Convention 11 um, in the Birmingham, um, in Birmingham in early uh, September. Most of the other winners were X-Men and X-Men related, as it should be, because Dark Phoenix starts in January 1980, and Claremont and Byrne are really at the height of their powers here. Mm. Uh, John Wagner's Alter Ego T.B. Grover also won for British writing for Strontium Dog and Robo Hunter. And the Nerve Center's yeah. celebrating all of this. Plus. Dude, one, these are all good things. Yeah, totally. Uh, plus, the Prague. Are, are, so, someone writes in saying that they, they've named their hamster after Tharg. And the Prague ends with a secondary letters page hosted by Rojaws, mostly answering letters that are very insulting to Tharg. Also, there's a green cross man uh, at, at the I end of the, of the page. Just burn all green cross codes. Fox is not like kids learning how to look both ways before crossing the street. <laughs> it, just like, ah, this way is like the worst. Just tell children, don't go into the middle of the street. Or That's what they're doing with the ads, Fox. Uh, <laughs> We've talked, I don't want to relitigate this. Um, <laughs> Prog 135, um, Carlos Escara shows Mongrel throwing a T-Rex around by its tail. And awesome. just like it happened in the comic, I just want to be yes. like a guy watching pro wrestling and just shouting like, holy shit, holy shit, over this and over again shit. for that. Um, in the nerve center, 
Tharg flogs the uh, the 2080 annual. He says there's a strontium dog store in it, which we all know is a lie. Also, <laughs> also Fox, know that I am merciful because we aren't covering the Star Lord or Tornado annuals. Oh. Uh. Which exist, and we aren't talking about them. <laughs> no, I don't ever want to do that. Rojas has a film fun column written by Richard Burton, I believe. Uh, future Thark Richard Burton. Uh, mostly about the movie Meteor, which we yeah. heard about in the summer special this year. It's finally about to come out. Uh, and they're just retrotting out the same pictures that they had in the same print. It's true. Rojas also teases that he may have seen some early scenes of The Empire Strikes Back, which I'm totally jelly. And then in Captain Clep, there's a supervillain named The Beak. And they're using a same fake... Same dude. I think it's the same dude. And they're using fake for a fake fortune teller booth at a carnival to learn the secret identity of superheroes. But Captain Clep is so dumb that he doesn't register on the machine and then accidentally breaks it. Oh, Captain Clep. Uh, God, it's so stupid. <laughs> Prog 136, the cover is a typically awesome and ultra-elaborate alien, alien image by Massimo Ballardinelli. And there is an st- announcement of a contest. Design your own alien. There are groats to be won. Five and ten yeah. or five and ten pounds if you want those instead. Um, he wants drawn or written alien stuff. He also sort of breaks it to us that they've returned to the old style of printing, which means they can no longer print photographs in the comic, which is a bummer. And Yeah, why did they explain why? Well, I know from sort of reading stuff that they sort of got a new printing process like back in the early like um, 120s or so of of of, of mm. the comic, but they only had access to that style of printing for like 12 or 13 progs and sort of got passed now so they've they uh, for a little while they had the ability to print really high de- high definition st- or you know at that at that time high definition <laughs> stuff but they've sort of lost that ability since huh. they went back to the old print old uh old uh, uh presses as a cost saving measure basically lame yep um and there's a tharg note about exciting news in next week's prog which you know always makes you nervous but in fact i think it's just that they'll be announcing what the next few thrills coming to the comic will be oh cool and then this prog ends with a pinup of captain klepp trying to change into his costume in a phone booth but there's not a lot of space in there man yeah he's hey look it's more captain klepp for a reason you love that klepp um <laughs> no speaking of things you may or may not love fox uh Thrill 4, The Mind of Wolfie Smith. I want to like it. <laughs> Mind of Wolfie Smith, script robots, Tom Tully, art robots, Vano, and the lettering robot is the Aldrich Bot Mark II. <laughs> so, we're on the movie set where a stuntman is uh, climbing a standing stone, but he sees a spooky monster in it and he's falling off the side. Uh, oh, man. But before he can fully start falling, Wolfie Smith, known psychic dude, sees that he will fall and springs into action to try to save him. To save him. He doesn't quite manage it, though, and the stuntman Simon falls and breaks his collarbone. It's a bummer, especially as, once again, Wolfie has been non-smooth about this, and he has to explain <laughs> how he knew Simon would fall. Luckily, the, you know. Yeah. 
which really is good t- conversation. He's just got to figure out a way to be smoother about this psychic stuff, man. Think great. L- <laughs> Luckily, the film director shows up and tells everyone to get back to work. <laughs> we also learn from hot chick Tara that uh, this director has ha- has a lot riding on this movie, so he'll probably not be receptive to uh, claims that this area is haunted and they have to halt filming, just in case that <laughs> happens to be required. Anyhow, as Wolfie and Tara walk around the, the uh, lot, a bunch of film crew jerks show up and demand to know how Wolfie knew that Simon would fall, or else... What the hell, boy? As he's being threatened, Wolfie taps into the standing stones in their crazy druid magic. He, de- oh. uh, they, he hears their warnings... Heed that what they say. Be gone from this place. You will be a messenger. And suddenly Wolfie's face turns into an evil clay face and he gets super strength and he kicks the crap out of all the jerks uh, while telling them to be gone. It gets Ave- real weird. Yeah, eventually he comes to and the rest of the film crew comes out and takes everybody to first aid and they tell Wolfie to get lost. Wolfie's determined to stop the filming, however, just as the director, Julian Rose, is determined to keep it going, even as a thunderstorm kicks up and the movie's evil monster shows up and it's a guy in a costume that looks exactly like the creepy uh, druids that Wolfie saw in his vision. Very uncanny. Hmm. So after taking a week off in in Prague 35, Wolfie comes back... um, as the film crew prepares for their movie's big disco scene, as the guy in the druid costume makes jokes to the rest of the crew and stuff. As the thunderstorm starts up, whoa, a uh, st- uh, kicks up around a uh, one of the standing stones. A crazy local shows up with a standard like, "This place is cursed. You are fools. <laughs> Leave this place." And he gets kicked off. Gets kicked off the set. Uh, yeah, well, I like how the the movie is slowly turning into the movie. You know, totally. This is like, yeah, this. I mean, this this movie, this this comic, this monster comic about a monster movie has the exact same plot of a monster movie for sure. Yeah. Um, Wolfie goes after the man and follows him home to see some books about old legends about the stones. Meanwhile, the actor in the druid costume gets ready for his big moment when a mysterious hand, the uh, Tom Tully special, appears threateningly <laughs> behind him. Next episode, Body Snatcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. But, you know, Wolfie Smith, it's not bad, but it's not, like, engaging i guess wolfie smith really suffers from coming right after abc warriors if you ask me (laughs) yeah placement and like i don't know more esp shit like psychic Mm -hmm. battles were kind of interesting at the very least this one's like i'm psychic and everyone else is like basically doesn't trust me and it's not like i can talk about it which yeah this one's really old hat yeah, it's more sort of teen hijinks than it is like psychic powers or whatever, which yeah, yeah, is yeah. not the strong one, you know. No. So, uh, quickly, let's. Uh, speaking of quickly, haha, let's go to Thrill Five Future Shocks. We got one. Hey, we did us a Future Shock. Yeah, because Wolfie takes a, a week off, we get uh, a Future Shock instead. Uh, script robot for this one is Roy Preston, writing as P Wild Beast. Art robots John Cooper, letter robots P. Bensberg. So it's the future, Fox. <laughs> Surprise. And a dad's working late and unable to spend time with his wife or son. They're both sad about this. 
And when the father comes home and goes to the basement to work from home, the son follows him into the basement. Uh, the father's working on some time travel stuff because wor- he has a job at the time management agency. He basically is like, get the fuck out of here, child. I am busy. Mm-hmm. The son tries to cheer the dad up with his future Kermit, frog- Kermit the Frog toy, but the dad throws it against the wall, breaking it. Which, what the hell kind of dad are you, man? This is a jerk dad. As he prepares to go to the 16th century um, in his home time machine for work, his crying son has an idea and changes the controls of, or changes the settings on the time machine and then breaks the controls, causing his dad to be stuck in the time lanes, unable to leave for the rest of time. Oh my god, but at least he gets to watch his wife and kids on the video monitor every minute of their life. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Just like, all right. Welcome back to Future Shocks. Exactly. This is, this is a weird one. <laughs> totally. Yeah, you know, it's weird when you, have, when you have to make a big trip like that, and then you get your directions mess, messed up. Speaking of big mm. trips, oh. Thrill Six Disaster 1990. So here we see Bill Savage polishing his gun almost sexually <laughs> yeah script robot gary finley day art robot carlos pino lettering robot steve potter and yeah it's not uh, the attempt to bring a massive touring production of the opera ada complete with a five-story replica of the sphinx and a cast of over 1200 people to the united states where it only sold 2,000 tickets in a stadium that seated 90,000. <laughs> I was like, where the fuck is he talking about? And then just, I remembered. Just talking about disasters in 1990. In this oh, case, so the, the polar ice caps being destroyed by a nuclear uh, torpedo strike flooding all of England. Oh my god. That's fucking amazing. Where are but you so, finding these? Um, I put uh, 1990 uh, pop culture disasters into Google. <laughs> just sort of went to various choices. Oh, that's fucking amazing. Did that really happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's actually a really popular thing outside of America, This these giant productions of Ada. They're still, they're still going on. You can go to one, like, you know, in parts of, like, Europe or Australia or something like this year. I'm going to do that. But America doesn't give a crap about that. <laughs> oh, fuck, I guess not. But so, like you said, Fox, yeah, Savage is just chilling in his duck, polishing his shotgun, uh, pretty pleased with himself having saved Oxford from a flock of man-eating geese. By, and I will remind our listeners, whipping geese in the air with a bandolier to mm-hmm. death. Yep. I mean, that's not how he saved the city, but it is how he defended himself for a while. <laughs> I like to think that that's definitely how he saved everyone. That's fine. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, dons of Oxford look down on him in consternation. Ooh, that's savage! <laughs> we don't like him because he's been like really helping us out. Yeah. He, well, his uh, the fact that he's a blue-collar working man that's able to fix things that us highfalutin college types weren't makes us feel bad. <sighs> so great. Um, after a bit of a fight with some students that try to like you know be be jerks to him, basically. Savage shoots the bottom of their boat. Yeah, bastard. Hey, he's ending that fight, man. Um, Savage is sent to is assigned to investigate the high country of England north of Oxford for survivors and exposed land, um, to just to see if they want to make an alliance with Oxford or something like that. 
Yes. You coming with me, Bamber? Or Bomber? Whatever his name is. Bamber's got stuff to do he can't answer. <laughs> um, no. So, Savage, um, re- Savage is, is made representative. He rides out. On the way, he stops to refuel his the uh, duck, but he's attacked by a huge water snake and saved only uh-huh. the last minute by a timely shotgun blast from his buddy Bamber, who stowed away. Oh, uh, yeah. And he's not going to break up this little crew. No. Three noun, I don't know, like Shotgun, Savage, and Bamber are now the Silk, Savage, and Shotgun of this. Shotgun, series. Savage, and Scientist. Oh, ooh. Appreciate. Yeah. Hey, that was an alley you, buddy. Um, you and me, we're a team. Um, <laughs> I'll get you halfway there. Just, I need you to nail the shot. Yeah, no, you're the, you're the out of control savage to my, um, you know, intelligent and analytical Bamber, buddy. So, <laughs> so Savage and Bamber arrive at a farm on a hillside and they're signaled by the people there that they've got a big stronghold with barbed wire and everything. Uh, they call Savage and Bamber wetbacks, which I'm not going to do. Uh, and they've no. got horses and guns, and they force Savage to unload his shotgun, and they destroy some of Bamber's scientific gear. And then after they're bullying, they sort of lead our guys to the house of the Squire, the local strongman. Yeah, these guys are just general dicks. Yep, absolutely. He treats them to a feast, but explains that England's finished. He doesn't want to team up with Oxford. He's quite happy being a petty local warlord. Savage disagrees and is shown out. As the guys leave, the locals mess with the duck. They oh, and shoot. like hitting it with axes and like they, shooting out the windows. They, they, they take pickaxes to the tires. This fox is a mistake. Yes, big time. You messed with like something that basically Bill Savage named that is an inanimate object. That is like basically punishable by death. Yep. They push the duck out to sea and force Savage and Bamber to jump off a cliff and swim to the vehicle. These guys are messing with the wrong one. So, Dude, bad that, idea. Under cover of night, Savage and Bamber return to the compound to the squire's compound they cause a series of stampedes first sheep then cows then people they drive around spooking horses and making everybody run it's pretty awesome just like full invasion savage basically mm-hmm. he runs the animals up to squire's house and forces everybody to it runs them through and everybody run, uh, runs out <laughs> and they force them all to jump off the same cliffs that savage and bamber were forced to jump on and then he gives them a, a good stern talking to about how they should be better people and be supportive of England. Absolutely. As the squire shakes his fist, Savage and Bamber ride off, secure the knowledge that jerks have had their comeuppance. Yeah, but, so time to go home and have some rice, I guess. But as they return to Oxford, they find the whole place destroyed, pillaged, oh, burned, God. and massacred. Oxford's been totally wiped out. No. What happened? Yeah. Uh, The boys find Dr. Sims, one of the leaders of Oxford, still alive but dying, and they ask him to do a flashback, and he obliges. Um, Basically, a bunch of well-armed dudes calling themselves the the Greater London Legion arrived outside of Oxford. The professors were prepared to do their uh, gas screen, but the GLL sent out negotiators under a flag of truce, and... um, the sci- the Oxford guys met them with negotiators because they're idiots, and then the um, well, the negotiators were taken hostage, 
And they had a bunch There's... of time negotiating to get the hostages back, and then the GLL guys sent commandos in. Sorry, what what's going on, Fox? No, there's there's got to be a historian among them who's like, listen, when you're surrounded by boats, this ain't good. We need to like straight up just defend ourselves and not go out there because they have a very obvious upper hand. Yeah, but these and guys like, are. Ah, oh, man, we're dumb. The problem is that these guys are like genteel aristocrat historians, so of course they'd actually probably see a flag of truce as being super sacred and not sort of, a, a, couldn't mm. possibly be a trick because of the holy rites of uh, of the flag of truce and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? I guess. Their armor, they think their uh, honor is armor that protects them, but it's chains that hold them down, Game of Thrones <laughs> style. Um. But so, yeah, commando raid on Oxford. Basically, the whole place got taken out. Despite the gallant, the valiant efforts of students and teachers, Oxford has fallen. Those that weren't killed were taken hostage, and the whole place was burned to the ground. The story is interrupted by a pair of legionnaires that were left behind to sweep for survivors who opened fire on Savage and Bamber, but they're no match for Savage's shotgun skills. And being that they are in the, bower, uh, the bell tower... The bell tolls for the strange snipers. <laughs> High five. <laughs> Dude. Vowing revenge, the boys drive back to London, where they find a massive wall around Buckingham Palace, which has been drained and turned into a fortress. Inside, they see the guys from Oxford being held in a prison camp, as well as the leaders of the GLL, which is the fascist guy from the start of the story, Martin and the leader of that gang of convicts, Razor, all the baddies have teamed up, oh no! It's been a veritable legion of doom for Bill Savage. Absolutely. Next episode, Freedom Fighters. Aw, snap! Yeah, and that's the thrills for this month, Fox. What's your top and bottom thrill for October 1979? I mean, the clear winner is ABC Warriors. There's no fucking doubt it's ABC Warriors. Why would it never be ABC Warriors? Flesh got into my ABC Warriors and made it super awesome. It was already awesome. And then Golgotha happened. And then I just kind of just started crying and weeping blood. And then found a bunch of dinosaur toys and started going like... Strong agree. Strongest agree. But what's your bottom thrill? That's the big question. This was actually a pretty good month, I thought. Yeah, so. no, and, and so I'll, I'll say this much, like, so when I say this, like, very strong caveat here, like, I actually really wanted Wolfie Smith to be good, like, I like the idea of some supernatural stuff, because it, it's kind of science fiction-y if you can make it work that way, mm-hmm. um, but it's just not, it's like, they're going for this darker, like, horror angle, but then they're not being very horrific like you contrast this to like ABC Warriors where people are getting eaten to death and and kids are getting smashed with swords uh or or hammers like it's just so fucking tame and mm-hmm. so fucking boring some of the time but like there's this ESP shit that's going on and some mythical bullshit that's happening which is like that's kind of cool it's just not really sticking the landing each time and Wolfie's just like a, a weird kid to begin with, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. Wolfie Smith's my bottom thrill this month, too. Um, yeah, the, the contemporary setting. Solidarity. Yeah, to, hey, you know, again, 
we're a team, buddy. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, Wolfie is sort of it's contempt. It's contemporary setting is kind of a strike against it for me, just because mm-hmm. there's just not enough science fiction stuff going on in it. But also, it's just slow, man. Like it just like I I feel like they could have put more could have happened in the three progs that it was in. You know. Oh yeah. And with, oh, with, yeah. with so many thrills that I really like rushing to their conclusion, sort of Wolfie mm. continuing on so sort of at a glacial pace is sort of makes it stand out a little bit. I mean, even Blackhawk, like, is at least it's like got this gruesome element to it, you know, that's kind of offsetting the brutality yeah, like of the character. Like the, like, I, I, I mean, Blackhawk's pretty samey. And um, is also moving kind of slowly, and they're about to sort of change that by by changing the format a little bit next next episode. But mm. it makes up for it with its sci-fi setting and crazy monsters, basically. Oh yeah, oh so, yeah, for sure. Like and Versus and amazing, yeah. and like graphic violence and stuff like that, you know. So it just sort of it, it definitely brings it up above like Wolfie Smith, for instance. And then Dread is great. This is good. This is good. Just sort of you know. Monster of the Week Dread stuff. Um, yeah. And it's between arcs. Yeah. And, to, and you know, in Disaster 1999's fun. Like, I just, you know, I got a soft spot for, for Bill Savage, and his continued adventures are fun times for me. I think we both got a soft spot for that old lug. Absolutely. That old lorry driver. Totally. Yeah. So, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at Gmail or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're SpaceSpinner2K. Everything else, look up SpaceSpinner2000 and we should be there. Come back next time as the Black Death comes to Mega City 1. Black Hawk fights space pirates and then shifts to a new format. We learn the truth in Wolfie Smith, and while sadly both the ABC Warriors and Disaster 1999 will ride off into the sunset, we'll get two new thrills I'm pretty excited about. First, we'll just take some time to hang out and vape with the the VCs, and then we'll learn that crime does pay with the stainless steel rat. Okay. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendugler Thrig! Splendugler Thrig! Thrig.